Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands we record this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, as well as the Wanarua and the Gamilaroi people. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Whether it's a bald-headed witch who wants to kill all the children, a giant who blows dreams into your ears at night, or an eccentric man obsessed with confectionery, you'd be hard-pressed to not have read or been shown a story written by Roald Dahl at some stage in your life. Mr Wonka, I'm very resolved. It's very nice to meet you, sir. I always thought a Veruca was a type of wart you got on the bottom of your foot. <laughs> but when we look back at the words used to spin these tales, many of them would never be allowed to appear in a book for children in 2023. So does that mean we should go back and change them? Or are we missing the opportunity to have discussions about race, gender and other sticky topics that we often find difficult to broach with young minds? Today, we break down the complex legacy of Roald Dahl and the arguments for and against rewriting history. But first, your news headlines for Tuesday, February 28. Residents in Lismore will get together today to reflect on the one-year anniversary of the devastating floods that damaged more than 3,000 homes and took the lives of five people. The memorial will be preceded by a private ceremony to acknowledge the incredible efforts of dinghy owners who ferried hundreds of people stranded on their rooftops to safety. The event kicking off three weeks of reflection and celebration with a music festival in the CBD on the weekend and a celebrity cricket match on March 11. Around 60% of businesses have returned to the town, but the relocation of schools means hundreds of their customers have gone, many saying the past year and all the hurdles they still face has left them exhausted, as many still wait to see if the government will buy back their homes or provide funding to raise them above flood levels. The lawyer representing Kumanjai Walker, the Aboriginal teenager who was shot and killed by Constable Zachary Rolfe in the Northern Territory, says the officer should be investigated for contempt of court over a letter he wrote criticising NT police and the coroner before leaving the country. Andrew Bowe, representing Mr Walker's family, asked to submit the letter to the inquest investigating the shooting, along with an opinion piece published by several media outlets that was attributed to Constable Rolf's mother, saying they contain contemptuous remarks about the coronial investigation, the inquest and members of the court. Ian Freckleton, who's representing NT Police, questioned the motive for writing the letter, saying if it is to intimidate certain people who are giving evidence, then it's to pervert the course of justice and that it also contains very false allegations about Mr Walker which denigrate him. 
Another earthquake has struck Turkey three weeks after the huge tremor that brought down thousands of buildings and killed more than 50,000 people. The 5.2 magnitude quake shook southeastern Turkey, bringing down more buildings, killing at least one person and injuring 69 others. There are also thought to be people trapped under the rubble. While the cleanup from these natural disasters continues, Turkish authorities have arrested 184 people suspected of complaints in the collapse of buildings. The US ambassador to China says Washington must push Beijing to be more honest about the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. The comments come after the Wall Street Journal reported on Sunday that the US Energy Department had concluded the pandemic likely arose from a Chinese lab leak in Wuhan, despite intelligence communities saying they still don't have enough information to come to a conclusive answer on the origins of the virus. The Chinese Foreign Ministry responded saying certain parties should stop rehashing the lab leak narrative, stop smearing China and politicising the origins tracing issue. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. recent discussion around the decision by the UK publishers of Roald Dahl's books to update the language to be less offensive has created quite a divide. There are those who are all for it. At first I thought, nah, leave it. Then just as quickly realised if we no longer use certain words because we know they are hurtful and offensive to the point where I don't even recall ever coming across one of these words in any of the books I've read, then why not? Parents and educators have enough to do already. So why add trying to quickly think on the fly whilst reading to children in the hopes they will adopt a love of reading when it's just not necessary? We've both been reluctant to read those stories and share those characters with our kids because of the language and the insults used. It's outdated, it's unnecessary. Kids are happy to come up with their own insults. They don't need us feeding them ones that aren't appropriate or horrible to say. And I just feel like as parents, we're being told over and over by early childhood experts that language matters. I would love to be able to keep sharing these stories. I loved Roald Dahl and I love the idea of sharing with my kids. If they update the language, that just makes it so much easier. Otherwise, we'll find new stories. Those who are against. I think we take from our children and our children's children the true contextual understanding of the years that have gone by. And I think this leads to future generations repeating history's mistakes and not learning from the past. I'm a parent and I've read Roald Dahl to my children and his books are on their shelves. We've had important conversations about the things that just don't sit well. Just like I take the risk of letting them swim in the ocean with the sharks and in the bush. It's my parental choice to allow them into a less than perfect world to experience the full spectrum of imperfection rather than trying to shield them from, well, I guess, unattractive realities. 
I read all the Roald Dahl books and did not grow up thinking women with alopecia were witches or that all overweight people were lazy or evil, similar to how it never occurred to me to poison my grandmother because George did it with his marvellous medicine. We don't give children enough credit. And some who are still trying to figure out where they land. I think it's definitely something to consider when reading any text, that context is everything. Just like watching movies from the same era, earlier or later, they sometimes have problematic language, but they're still around. So I guess rewriting would be the movie equivalent of remaking. I'm a bit torn. Look, I'm really mixed about this. I love Roald Dahl and I'm all for getting rid of gender stereotyping, removing the stigma that anyone who's fat is lazy and bad and greedy and evil, etc. But on the other hand, the books represent historical context and I kind of think that's important too, so that we can see how our society has changed, where it's changed and possibly talk about where it needs to change. As an English teacher, an ex-English teacher, this was something I would have done with my students and I kind of think there's a lot of value in leaving things written how they are. If you missed this news story, the UK arm of book publisher Puffin, who print Roald Dahl books like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Witches, Twits and James and the Giant Peach, engaged a group of sensitivity readers to go through the famous writer's texts to view it through the eyes of today's audience. They pinpointed some areas of concern, removing references to the words fat and ugly, like the way Dahl describes the twits or Augustus Gloop in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Willy Wonka's workforce, the Oompa Loompas, are now gender neutral rather than exclusively men, and the cloud men in James and the Giant Peach are cloud people. Matilda's awful bully, Miss Trunchbull, is now a formidable woman rather than a formidable female. And there's a new explanation for why women might choose to wear wigs in the book Witches, long thought to be misogynistic. The Netflix-owned Roald Dahl Story Company released a statement saying they'd made the changes to ensure Dahl's wonderful stories and characters continue to be enjoyed by all children today. Roald Dahl stories have been staple reading material for children since they hit bookshelves in the 1960s, with his tales being made into movies and stage productions. But while Dahl is a celebrated children's author, his legacy is also complicated. Shortly before his death in 1990, the then 74-year-old admitted he was anti-Semitic. A statement appearing on the Roald Dahl Company website in recent years apologised for those comments. The Dahl family and the Roald Dahl Story Company deeply apologise for the lasting and understandable hurt caused by some of Roald Dahl's statements. Those prejudiced remarks are incomprehensible to us and stand in marked contrast to the man we knew and to the values at the heart of Roald Dahl's stories, which have positively impacted young people for generations. We hope that, just as he did at his best, at his absolute worst, Roald Dahl can help remind us of the lasting impact of words. There's also been reports around for many years that the author was misogynistic and racist. His longtime editor, Stephen Roxburgh, says that he often had to cut inappropriate content from the stories. He told Dahl he was concerned about his portrayal of women in The Witches, but Dahl wasn't because one of the best characters in the book, and the nicest by far, was also a woman, Grandma. Dahl did rewrite some of his own stories when things were pointed out, even if he did so reluctantly. 
The Oompa Loompas, who work for Willy Wonka, were depicted by Dahl in a racist colonial light as African pygmies Wonka shipped to England in boxes with holes in them. He changed them in a 1973 rewrite to long-haired, rosy-cheeked and white, hailing from Lumpaland after pressure from the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People and Children's Literature Professionals. The BFG was originally described in a derisive stereotype of an African man before Roxburgh made him change it. But a 1982 conversation between Roald Dahl and artist Francis Bacon has recently been shared where Dahl reportedly said that he had warned his publishers that if they so much as change a single comma in one of his books, they'll never see another word from him, adding that if it happens after he's gone, he'll wish mighty Thor knocks very hard on their heads with his hammer Mjolnir, or he will send along the enormous crocodile, a character from one of his books. Dahl's books aren't the first to be changed or removed due to a modern lens being placed over its of-its-day context. In 2021, Dr Zeus Enterprises announced that they would be ceasing the publication of six of the famously rhyming author's books due to them having racist and insensitive imagery. They included stereotypical images of people of Chinese, Japanese, African and Middle Eastern descent, as well as using a word to describe Native American groups that is considered offensive. Enid Blyton, who wrote her book The Famous Five in the 1940s, has also had a makeover. The reference to housemistress is changed to teacher, awful swatter is bookworm, school tunic is uniform, and Dick's comment that she must be jolly lonely is now she must get lonely. Each time these texts are changed or removed from print, there's a response from critics who say we shouldn't mess with these things for many reasons. Among them, those who say we need to use them to teach children how things have changed, why we no longer use these words and stereotypes. Some just want things to stay the same as when they read them. Even world-renowned author Salman Rushdie weighed in on the move to change Dahl's books, posting this to Twitter. Roald Dahl was no angel, but with this absurd censorship, Puffin Books and the Dahl estate should be ashamed. The other side says, why not update them and make them accessible to everyone? Parents saying they now won't have to edit the story on the fly to skip inappropriate language or realise they simply cannot read the story to their children in 2023 without a lengthy discussion on race, gender equality and other topics that perhaps their children aren't ready for. So are we doing the right thing here? Are we righting the wrongs of an author who, in their time, weren't aware of the inappropriateness of their prose? that they were a reflection of that time. If we don't, are we feeding children words to become racist and sexist themselves, or are we taking away their opportunity to think critically about a text? Michelle Smith is a senior lecturer in literary studies at Monash University, where she teaches fairy tale and children's literature. Her current research focuses on the history of Australian children's fantasy. Michelle, should we be treating children's literature differently to the way we treat adults, where it's considered very much a no-no to censor or edit anything out? It is a super interesting question, and it's a tricky one because, you know, parents and educators don't want to be confronted with reading works that that might be difficult to address with children. But I think the response to this dull situation shows that we do 
have a slippery slope if we start changing the wording of books. If we do say children's books aren't the same and we can edit them and change them as we see fit over time, it does sort of compromise that idea of uh, literary freedom. You know, what if powers that be determine particular views are not acceptable. I know the changes here are ones that we would see as positive, but it, it is a kind of dangerous concept to censor or change the wording of books, even if they are for children. What about, say, for example, there's been a real movement from First Nations people to remove books from libraries across Australia that mm. talks about Indigenous cultures in a way that we absolutely would not talk about Indigenous cultures now. Is there actually room for removing those publications from children's view or changing them so they do reflect a more modern viewpoint? Sure. And look, I think this is fascinating because what normally happens with children's books, say like from the Victorian era, how many of those children's books do we read today? Perhaps something like Alice in Wonderland survives. But once views become outdated and inappropriate, we stop putting them out for children and children stop being drawn to them. So there's a natural process of attrition where those books should fall out of favour and the great, wonderful new books, including by First Nations authors, should replace them. So I think there's definitely a space for weeding out the older books that are no longer appropriate, especially in terms of nonfiction. But for fiction, like something like Roald Dahl, we can think about having conversations with young people about the things that they're seeing in these books that no longer kind of, I guess, meet the values we would hope to present them with. How much of this, Michelle, is an academic discussion about literature and how much of it is rooted in nostalgia? Because there's a lot of us saying, you know, well, I read it as a child and I didn't turn out racist or any of the <laughs> things that I've come across in a Roald Dahl book and I want my child to have that same experience. How much of that is literally just our nostalgia wanting to make sure our children have the same experiences that we did? Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, we've seen this before with the likes of Enid Blyton. and I remember when Sesame Street was starting to come with content warnings for some of the older episodes from when I was growing up. But the fact is we do put children's books out there to socialise them into the world that we're part of. And, you know, it's hard to accept that the world we grew up in is no longer there. Those values are different. The morality of times, attitudes towards sexuality, race, gender change. There is a nostalgia there and a real desire, I guess, for adults to be able to continue to revisit those special memories and places that they remember from, uh, you know, whether it's Narnia or the Faraway Tree or, or Roald Dahl. But I think we have to remember that children are exposed to these values in these books and we ideally want them to be able to deal with things that are contemporary to the lives they're living. And there's a natural process that the things we read perhaps 20 or 30 years ago or which Dahl even wrote 60 years ago might not be the most ideal thing to put in the hands of a child if that's among the only things they're reading. I guess that's also important too that there are hundreds of books published in the past several decades that are amazing resources for children to read that are diverse and that do reflect the world that we're in. So if we situate some of these older books within that and we talk children through them, that's fine. But if we think that children will have the same experience we did or that our grandparents did in reading them, you know, we can't replicate that. Are we actually selling kids short sometimes when it comes to having these kind of difficult situations and these difficult discussions because we kind of say, well, we don't want to read them a bedtime story and have a conversation about sexism mm -hmm. and racism, but do they even understand the implications of those things? 
I teach children's literature, so I guess one of the barriers we face is that people often say, well, children wouldn't understand any of that. Children, you're reading too much into it. But the simple fact is young people are very canny readers. They don't even necessarily have to agree with the book they're reading. They will quite often say, well, that idea was stupid or I didn't like the way that worked. So we do have to realise that children can resist the messages that are present in a book. They may not necessarily agree. And we as adults can help them to negotiate that. But I understand this point here about not necessarily wanting to have that discussion about the ills of the world every time you're reading a bedtime story. And I guess that's where we think about the fact that changing the language in books, simply changing Augustus Gloop from fat to enormous doesn't change the values and the morals in that book. They're still the same. If you read that book, there's quite a lot of sexist depictions of, say, Violet Beauregard in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. One of the things that children's literature academics would say is that simply skimming over and changing a few surface words doesn't actually change the values and the morals and the messages that might be the real problem. So leaving that language intact can enable those conversations or can enable children to detect what's going on a little better. Just finally, we've heard over the weekend that the UK publisher who has gone ahead and decided to change the words in Dale's books have decided to not only do that but also keep printing the original version so that you then have the option to choose which Mm. way you want to go. Do you think that's a suitable outcome from this, that then parents have the option to choose which way they go and which discussions they do have? You know, that is sensible in terms of choice and agency, both for adults and for children, you know, that the fact that we might try to hide away the past or alter the language in a book doesn't change that those things happened and that we might need to have those discussions with young people. So I can see that the majority of the response was quite negative and I think a lot of parents want to still read those original texts, but we have to be prepared for the fact that some of the values are out of step with today and we may need to have some difficult conversations. So the other option is to simply let outdated books fall out of view turn to what are some great books by contemporary Indigenous authors? What are some great books by people of colour or or more diverse writers? We have a whole wealth of children's and young adult literature out there that uh, might be even a more better choice than some of these books that are falling foul of these sort of publisher decisions. So ultimately, giving us choice is better, I think, than telling us what a book should contain, especially when it's contrary to what the author themselves has published. But we're even seeing James Bond books now up for discussion. So this is spreading beyond simply changing children's books as well. So it seems the arguments for and against rewriting Roald Dahl's stories both hold merit, but are also both problematic. And we can't dismiss the role nostalgia plays too. Many of us want our children to have the same experiences that we did and share the love of these stories. Because after all, We didn't turn out racist or sexist, or did we? The Dutch and French publishers who print Dahl's books have already said they won't be going with the new versions. And over the weekend, as you heard, the UK publisher announced that they will publish both the new and the old unchanged versions. So you can choose which one suits you and the stage that your kids are at yourself. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Jacob Round. 